That bumper is like a shot of espresso, is it not? I mean, man, it just kind of gets you up and going. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Jerry. I'm the campus pastor here in Carmel. We're really glad to have you, have you with us this morning. Um, in our family, something really cool happened earlier this month. Uh, my wife, Casey, and I, our oldest son turned 13. And uh, we're really excited for him to be a teenager. We're trying to wrap our minds around the fact that he is a teenager, that we have a teenager. And so, you know, in ancient cultures, when you turn 13, you were an adult, right? And we're not ready to say that he's an adult. We think he's a responsible young man. And so we wanted to give him a gift to say, hey, we see you as a, a responsible young man. And one of, the, one of the gifts we got for him was a wallet. And it was our way of saying, hey, you, you're responsible. You can handle this, right? And it was kind of also subconsciously, don't tell him, I'm saying this, although I know you're in the room right now, Jude. It was kind of our way of saying, hey, adulting's right around the corner. Get ready, right? Buckle up. Make sure that you've always got some money in this wallet and you know, you know how to manage it well. And so I hopped on Amazon to find what I thought was a simple and stylish wallet to give to my son. It came with prime shipping. It arrived the very next day. So I opened it to inspect it before I was going to wrap it for him. And this is a true story. What I found was pretty shocking. Check this out. This is fresh out of the box. $10 cash. No lie. $10 cash a Blue Cross Blue Shield card, a CVS card, and a Flex spending card. All he needs now is a 401k, and he is set for life. It's got the little barcode sticker on it. Do you see it? It took me a minute to realize this is, this is new. I didn't put that in there, right? And so if you're like me, you're probably thinking, well, what do you do when you get a gift like that? So I did what I thought was the next best and right thing. I got on Amazon and bought all the Timberland wallets I could buy, thinking they're giving away $10 at a time, and that was not the case. I have one if you want to, I have a couple if you want to buy one from me. So now, just by show of hands, how many of you enjoy getting something extra on occasion, right? Isn't it nice to just get something extra and unexpected? Of course we do, right? Like, I'm sure you've never gone through the drive-thru and complained that there's a few extra fries at the bottom of the bag, right? Or you've never been shopping in the grocery and saw a buy one, get one free sale and thought, oh, great. They're trying to give me more free stuff, right? We don't complain about things like that. My friend Jenna said, I love when I get a free drink from Starbucks because when I go to Starbucks, she said, I get the cheapest, smallest drink possible. But if Starbucks has given me a free drink, I'm going large and it's going to be more expensive, something I would never buy for myself because why? We like getting more and extra. It's good. Everyone enjoys getting something extra. But I have a question for you. Even though we like getting stuff, what about when it comes to giving some of what you have away? It's, it's hard to even say, right? Giving some of what you have away. And, and I know what some of you are thinking right now. How can this man call himself a pastor when he's using a four-letter word like give on a Sunday morning? Shame on him. Doesn't he know you're not supposed to talk about that in church? Or maybe you're new and you're thinking, oh, great. I came to the church where they talk about money all the time. We don't talk about money all the time, just the Sunday that you come, right? Or maybe some of you are thinking, give. I, I'm not going to give. I, I'm trying just to get enough to live on, like giving. Are you kidding me? And it's, it's no secret that talking about money or using the G word in church, it's a little taboo, right? Because we live in a culture that says you get as much as you can so that you can compare yourself with other people because that's where our value comes from. And so when it comes to the subject of giving, I want you to think about this. I thought about this for myself this week. When it comes to the subject of giving, in your mind, is there somewhere that you just think that's something that wealthy people do because wealthy people have more to give than the rest of us. The rest of us are just trying to survive, right? 
I mean, you don't have to raise your hand for that, but that's something wealthy people do or should do. But if you feel that way or if you think that way, I want you to think about this. Did you know that if you get to eat food on a regular basis and you get to live indoors, when you sleep at night, there's a roof over your head. Did you know you are wealthier than 85% of the rest of the people in the whole world? You're in the top 15% of wealth earners around the world, which is pretty humbling when you think about it, right? So maybe we should adjust what we think or who we think is wealthy, right? Because we've got a little extra to spare. And, and just to prove my point, I want to do a quick wealth quiz with you guys this morning. I just, I want you to raise your hand if any of these apply to you. And I'm going to raise my hand on all these. I'll just give you a heads up, okay? In the last seven to 10 days, how many of you spent $2 or more on a specialty drink of some sort? Coffee, soda, tea, I'm gonna raise both of my hands, okay? I, I, yeah, $2 or more on a specialty drink on occasion, right? Guess what? That's a perk of being wealthy. You've got a little extra going around. You've got some extra money to spend. In the last 30 days, how many of you have entertained yourself in some way? You've rented a movie from Redbox or you have a Hulu or a Netflix subscription or you actually went to the movies, right? That's a perk of being wealthy. If you went to the movies and bought popcorn, I don't know how to tell you this, you're just rich, okay? That's the only way I know how to, and you didn't have to take out a, a loan. You're, you're just flat out rich. Or think about this. How many of you had the privilege of wearing a different set of clothes to work or school or wherever you went this week? You were able to change clothes day after day after day, right? Okay. But then when you came home, you changed out of those clothes and you put on workout clothes or relaxing clothes, Okay, and then when you went to bed at night, you took off those clothes and you put on sleeping clothes. Guess what? That's a rich person's problem. So you should grab your phone right now and text your friends and say, I just learned I'm wealthy. Isn't this amazing? And, and it, might make us, it might make us feel weird to think that we're wealthy or to think that we have a little extra, but when the rest of the world looks at people like us, you know what they think? Gosh, I wish I was rich like you. I, I, I wish I had what you had. And here's the thing that I want you to hear me say. Having wealth or having extra stuff doesn't make us terrible, awful people, okay? This isn't a guilt trip. That's, that's not the problem. But pastor and author Andy Stanley, he does address a problem that I think that we need to be aware of. He says this, it's not what you have that's the issue. It's what you do with what you have that's the issue. Think about that. It's not the stuff that we have that's the issue, it's what we do with it. And here's what I think is really interesting. Jesus actually talked about this particular issue. And we're gonna look at a story that Jesus told around this topic today. We're gonna be in Luke chapter 12. So if you wanna follow along, you can turn there in the Bible that you have or on your phone or in the Bibles around the room. This is gonna be on page 726. It's a familiar story maybe for many of us, but let me tell you what's going on while you're turning there. In Luke 12, Jesus is teaching his disciples and then something really strange happens in the crowd around them. A fight breaks out about money. And here's what's weird. The people in the crowd come to Jesus looking for an answer about their dispute over money. And Jesus responds by telling a story about a farmer. And this particular farmer in this particular story was having a pretty good run at life. He had had bumper crop after bumper crop. And he found himself asking this question. He said, where am I gonna store all of my crops. Another way to ask this question might be, where am I gonna put all the stuff that I have acquired? 
Now, in Jesus' story, he's talking about a farmer, but I think if Jesus were telling the story to us today, if he were here with us, I think what he might be telling is a story about a middle-class American who had closed the deal or scored the promotion, and now they have a little extra cash flow coming in, and the question would still be the same. Where am I going to put all this stuff that I've acquired? And in Jesus' story, the farmer comes up with a solution to his problem. He says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns, and I'm going to build some bigger barns. Now, when was the last time you thought about building a barn? Never. I have never thought about building a barn, okay? So if Jesus were telling this story to us today, what I think he might say is, I know what I'll do. I'm going to build a bigger house. I'm going to buy a house with a basement because that's where you store all your stuff. I'm going to rent a storage unit, or better yet, I'm going to tear down my she shed or my man cave, and I'm going to build a bigger man cave or more she sheds to store all of my extra, all my extra stuff, right? And, and of course, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but here's the point that Jesus is making in this story about this farmer. The farmer assumed that all the stuff that he had acquired was for him to keep and to consume for himself. He wasn't thinking about anybody else. And so listen to what the farmer in the story says next. He says, I'm gonna tell myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now that sounds like a really smart move, right? That's, that's good financial advice. You should invest all that you can. Max out your 401k and your retirement contributions. Save for the future. And Jesus could end this story right now and say, and that man lived happily ever after. And everybody listening to it would have been like, man, I wish I was that guy. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's what I'm gunning for. That's why we're fighting about money in the first place. But here's what's interesting. That's not where Jesus ended the story. That's not how Jesus ended the story. And in fact, the story takes a dark turn. In verse 20, listen to this. God says to this farmer, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you and then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Yikes, right? I mean, so much for happily ever after. And then Jesus goes on a few verses later to end this not so inspiring story this way. He says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. That phrase jumped out at me this week, but it's not rich towards God. I've heard this story a million times before, but that particular phrase, it just points out what happens when you're not rich towards God. Now, Jesus is making a point. When we hoard what we have, we are really refusing to be generous back towards God. And that is not, that's not a good thing. And don't get me wrong, there is definitely a time to save and there's a time to invest and there's a time to live but here's the thing. Did you notice in the story that God starts calling this guy names? He calls him a fool. Why would God call this man a fool? Is it because? Is it because he's rich? Is it because he's wealthy? Is it because he has stuff? I think the point Jesus is making is God calls him a fool because he refuses to be generous with what he has. He thinks it's all for himself all the time. And remember, the issue, we've already said this, the issue isn't what you have. It's what you do with what you have. The problem, another way to think about this is the problem isn't having stuff. The problem is when we hoard what we have for ourselves. And so I think you could argue if Jesus is trying to teach his followers something or the people that are listening to the story something or the rest of us something, maybe what Jesus is saying is, hey, I wanna teach you how to be good at being rich. 
being rich isn't a problem, but <clears throat> wouldn't you like to know how to be good at being rich so you're not bad at being rich? Listen to what Jesus says. If you jump down a few verses to verse 34, he says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus makes it real clear. Look, the issue isn't money and stuff. The problem is actually deeper than that. The problem is in your heart. Jesus knows when we hoard things, it breeds really nasty, ugly things in our heart like greed and arrogance. Is there anybody here that wants to get to your dying day and have people say, oh, greedy and arrogant. Those are the only two words I can think to describe them. Of course not. And Jesus is saying, we gotta be really, really careful with how we manage, with how we manage what, we, what we have. And here's the thing, Jesus isn't just suggesting that we be generous. He's not suggesting, hey, this is a tip for being a good person. He wants us to know God's created us to live this way. A really good friend of mine shared this quote with me uh, that he came up with, and I just, I think it's so good. Generosity isn't something that you do. Generosity is something that you become. Generous is something you become. We can become. We were created to be generous people. And so I think that there's a question that we need to wrestle with today. How can we be like that? If this is a heart issue, what are we going to do to make sure that our heart is in the right place when it comes to managing what we have, small or large, big or small, and also being generous to others at the very same time? And so to help us think this through today, I want to walk you through an illustration known as the generosity ladder. Now, I was going to drag a big eight-foot ladder out on stage today, but I didn't want to make Larry playing the guitar do that. So we're going to have a ladder graphic up here on the screen, but I want you to picture a ladder in your mind and how you can climb the steps of this ladder one at a time. But here's the thing. Before I tell you about the ladder, I want to tell you two reasons why I think we all want to consider being on this ladder. And the first is really simple. Being on the generosity ladder is going to help us avoid pain. Would anybody in here like to avoid some future pain? I know I would, right? I mean, sometimes working out, it brings pain. That's not a bad thing, but I'm talking about pain that you, you get there and you're thinking, I could have avoided this. So being on the generosity ladder helps us to avoid pain. Now listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to his young protege, Timothy. In 1 Timothy 6.10, he said this, for the love of money, not just money, but the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul's telling Timothy the same thing. Hey, Timothy, I just want you to know this. Money isn't the issue, but when you love money, it's guaranteed to lead to pain. Here's what's really interesting. For me, the word love there in the original language can be translated as lust. And the point that Paul is making is when you lust for money, your desire for money becomes greater than your desire for God. And that's guaranteed, guaranteed to lead to all kinds of pain in our life. And so generosity, learning to be generous, can counteract this in our lives. Learning to be generous with what we have can protect us from the pain that comes from being dishonest about our money. Being generous can guard us against the pain that can come from chasing after money. And being generous can help us avoid the pain that we often feel when we're in conflict with other people over money. So the first reason you want to be on the ladder is to avoid pain, but the second is, is really simple. I think it's better. You'll be blessed. Is anybody in here opposed to being blessed? Not me. Like, send that my way, right? And listen to what God said. He spoke these words through one of the wisest 
men, wisest and wealthiest men to ever live. His name was Solomon. He wrote this in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth. It's almost like he's saying, I hope that you're wealthy. Just honor the Lord with that from the first fruits of, uh, of all your crops, your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. It's, it speaks of wealth as a good thing, but he says, honor the Lord with that. And God never says, look, if you give, I promise I'm gonna make you rich. That's not what he says. But what God does say is, I promise I'm gonna bless you if you decide to be generous. And you don't get to pick what that blessing looks like, but God says, I've got you covered. Now, my wife, Casey, and I could tell you story after story of how we've seen this play out in our 18 years of marriage. As we've grown in generosity, we have, we've seen God show up in ways that, only, that could only be attributed to him. And we'll look at each other and say, wow, can you believe that? And, and sometimes it's been like an amount of money that we needed to pay rent when we were first married. But throughout the course of time, it's just been him showing up in, in really unexpected ways. And I just want to let you know, there's never been a bucket of money fall directly out of the sky and land next to me. And God's like, that's for you. It's never happened like that, okay? It's always in these unexpected ways where we're like, oh, okay, thank you, God. I mean, I'm good with a bucket of money, just so you know. So I'm just saying. So where do we begin? How do you get on the first rung of this generosity ladder? And it's, it's, this step is so simple. If you're not giving anything, you start by giving something. If you're not giving anything, you start by giving something. That's pretty simple, right? And remember, being generous isn't something that you do. It's something that you can become. And so being generous, it's not dependent on how much you make or how much you give compared to other people. Remember what Jesus said, generosity flows from your, from your heart. And so maybe this is a new concept for you. Maybe you're thinking, I have never heard this before, or I don't wanna hear this today, right? But here's what I want you to hear. The first step you can take is to become a rookie giver. You can get into the game by becoming a rookie giver. And, and think about it, rookies are new to the game. They don't understand how, thing, how things work. And so being a rookie just means you're starting. And I remember when Casey and I became rookie givers 18 years ago when we were first married. I just graduated. We were married a month later. She had another year of school left. There were student loans. There was car payments. There was rent. We were rookies at life. We didn't know anything about anything, but thankfully, I am so thankful for this. We were part of a great church family that taught us this concept of giving a portion of what we earn back to God to be generous for his purposes. And I, I would tell you, Casey and I, we, we would say we have never regretted that decision. We were rookies at everything else in life, and we just decided, well, why not be rookies at giving too, right? Why not start there? And so we just started giving a little bit of something, and, and God has blessed us in ways that could only be attributed to him. So if you're not currently giving anything, I want to encourage you to become a rookie giver and to give something. And I want, I want you to hear me say this, and this isn't an easy thing for me to say, but I want you to trust me. I want you to give something that's going to hurt just a little bit. Give something that is a sacrifice. Give something that's going to require you to change the way you live. And maybe you don't have cable anymore. Maybe it's not Netflix anymore. Maybe your caffeine consumption goes down a little bit. But here's why. You're releasing part of your heart through your finances back to God. We don't give because God needs our money. We don't give because the church needs our money. We give because God asks, asks us to trust him with everything that we have, including our money. And remember what Jesus said. Your loyalty is found where your money is. 
So he's saying, I want you to trust me with everything you are, with everything you have, and with everything that you earn. And, and I just want to make a note of this. I realize that some of us might be in a season where you don't have a job and you're not able to give because there's nothing coming in. And I just want to say that is okay. There is no judgment there. That is a really stressful season of life to be in. I would love to meet with you and pray with you afterwards. There is no judgment there. But for the rest of us that have jobs and, and have an income, we need to get on this generosity ladder, especially if we're followers of Jesus. If we're not giving anything, we need to give something. And here's the thing. Remember, we will avoid future pain and we will get to experience God's blessing in unexpected ways. So that's the first step. Now, the next step is to move up from there a little bit, from, to go from giving something to giving on some kind of regular basis. And maybe some of you have been giving something for a while. Maybe, maybe there was a, a, an emotion that moved in you on a certain day and you thought, I'm going to give today. Or maybe you gave spontaneously towards a, a need that you saw in the moment. Last month, when we threw our block party across the street, you know what you guys did? You know what we did as a church family? Collectively, in like three weeks, we gathered $5,000 to throw a party for people we had never met before. And maybe some of you got to give for the very first time because you thought, I can get behind that, right? And so we celebrate that. Isn't, isn't that cool? We celebrate that kind of generosity. But if you've been given on occasion in the past or here and there, or just maybe when you think you want to, I want to encourage you to take step two and to become a recurring giver. To not just give spontaneously, but to give on a frequent basis. The goal in this step is to make practicing generosity a regular rhythm in life. Listen to what I said. I didn't say to give, but practicing generosity, making that a rhythm of life. And that's going to require some discipline and planning, isn't it? I bet you're like me and you have some things that you're disciplined to do, but they're scheduled. You've got a calendar reminder. You've got auto pay for your bills. You've got a reminder on your phone to do these, do these things, right? And, and being disciplined in, in generosity is going to be the same way. So maybe you're going to need to mark your calendar every time you get paid and say, oh, yeah, I need to write a check to the church. I need to be generous today. Or maybe even easier than that, you can use our online giving platforms on our website or on our app, and you can set up a recurring gift. And here's the thing. You get to pick the amount. You get to pick the frequency, but here's what's really cool. That kind of discipline and consistency will automatically help you begin to grow in this area of generosity. Now, there's a third step on this ladder, right? This ladder's starting to freak everybody out. Like, oh, I just hoping there were two steps. Like, maybe give a little bit and maybe give a little bit more than a little bit, right? But step three is growing as a relational giver. Growing as a relational giver. A relational giver is someone who's beginning to think about their giving in relation to the other things you spend money on. So a relational giver asks, asks the question like this, why am I giving more money to my internet provider or to my cell phone company than I'm giving to God for his purposes? Relational givers make intentional choices with how they give. And they even make changes in their giving patterns that affect their lifestyle. That sounds a little scary, doesn't it? They don't, think about this, relational givers don't give in terms of amounts. They give in terms of percentages. I'm gonna give a consistent percentage away on a regular basis to God's purposes of making disciples around the world. And, and if step one and step two didn't freak you out, I bet step three is freaking you out a little bit, right? He just said percentages. What, what does that mean? Why are we talking about that? Well, here's the thing. This isn't a new concept. I understand why it might freak you out, but this concept has been shared all throughout scripture. 
In the Old Testament, the Israelites just practiced giving 10% of their wealth back to God. It was a way to say, hey, God, it's all yours anyway. And that was carried on in the New Testament. We see Jesus and his followers. This is just the way that they, the way that they lived. And so if people come and say, hey, how much should I start giving? I'm just going to tell you, I think you should start with 10%. And I realize that seems like a lot, but it is just a pattern that we've seen practiced throughout Scripture. Now, I know that, can, that might mess with your mind a little bit. Maybe this is new to some of you. So I want to I show you a really simple example of what this looks like. We had a yard sale this weekend, and we made an amount that is none of your business. <clears throat> and so this is cash. My, my daughter was counting the money. She's like, we are rich, Daddy. And I was like, I know. I get to talk about that tomorrow. Isn't that cool? So I've got 10 $1 bills in my hand. Tithing, this this principle of giving a tenth, it's called a tithe. It just means a tenth. Ten of these. That just means you take the first one, you give it to God, and you have all of this to spend on yourself. Now, I know that was really fast. Ten of these, okay? You take the first, here you go, God, and you can save and spend that. That's pretty simple, right? But the problem is when these ones become tens, because now it's not $10, it's $100. And now you're giving away $10 and you can buy something with $10, can't you? But the percentage is still the same. Or what about when these become $100 bills, right? Like if you're giving away a $100 bill, you're like, hey, everybody, I'm giving today. I just wanted you to know that this is happening right now, right? But what about when these become $1,000 bills? I know that's not a thing, but you know what I'm saying, right? $1,000 bills. And what's, what's interesting when, they be, when it, the, the amount becomes bigger, the percentage never changes, does it? The, the nine is still the same, but we tend to, th- like, the more we get, we're like, hey, God, can I get some change back on this? Like, we're tipping him. And we, we chuckle, but it's easy because we see the amount, but the percentage never changes. That's why I think this is so important for us to practice. Here's the thing. We get freaked out by the zeros, don't we? We see decimal points. God's like, it doesn't matter to me. What really matters is how closely this is tied to our heart. Would we, be, would we be willing to part with this for his purposes and for his glory? Because remember what Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, as we're wrapping up, if you're looking at your notes, you're thinking, oh man, there is a fourth rung on this ladder. I wish he would just drop dead right now. I don't even wanna know what the last one is. Well, there's another step that we can take. And this step... <clears throat> This step is only limited by the amount of money we can get our hands on. This last step is called a radical, a radical giver. A radical giver is someone who makes decisions in the short term that will have long-term effect and impact on God's kingdom through their generosity. And if you're like me, you're tempted to think, well, there's probably like a minimum dollar amount you give to be a radical giver, right? No. Remember, it's, it's not even about a percentage. It's about your heart. It's the overflow of your heart. It's not about how much in terms of amounts. It's what's your heart leading you to give. And Jesus actually told a story about this. Actually, he didn't tell a story. He, was, he, he, showed, he pointed this out to his disciples. In the Gospel of Mark chapter 12, Jesus takes his disciples to the temple to observe people giving, okay? And and it's my understanding that at the temple in those days, there were these metal receptacles where people would come and they would dump their their tithe in there, right? And so metal receptacle, metal coinage, what happens when when you dump a bunch in there? 
and it's almost like, oh, look how generous and wealthy I am. And there's all this noise happening. And Jesus is watching, saying, do you guys see this? Look at that. Oh. And you know, the, the disciples are like, oh, that guy's rich, right? But then something crazy happens. This poor widow walks up with two copper coins. Now, in our day, two copper coins are just two pennies, right? Not a lot of value there. You really can't buy anything with two copper coins. And she takes them and she drops them in. Do you think it made much of a noise? Do you think anybody noticed? And it would be easy to say, like, why bother, right? Like, just hold on to that. But that's not the way Jesus said it. He said, hey, I want you all to pay attention. That's radical giving. Look at what he says in Mark 12, verse 43. He tells his disciples, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her, po out of her poverty. She gave everything that she had to live on. She's a radical giver. And remember, here's the point that Jesus is driving home. This is the point that we need to walk away with today. It's not what you have or what I have that matters. It's what we do with what we have that can make the difference. God wants us to grow in our generosity. He has been so generous to us. And, and I don't tell you this to guilt you or to shame you. And the goal isn't to raise money for Genesis Church today. The goal is to let you know that God's desire for us is to grow in generosity so that we can fund and fuel Jesus's ministry of making, or mission of making disciples all around the world. And some of you might be really skeptical about this thinking, yeah, 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 but really you're just trying to make money for the church. No, not really. But what I would want you to know, what I think you might enjoy knowing is that for the last several years here at Genesis, we've been debt-free as a church family. And I don't tell you that because debt is evil. Sometimes you gotta take on debt for a mortgage or whatever the case may be. But we've been debt-free for the last several years and we've been able to up our giving as a church family. In fact, last year in 2018, we were able collectively to give away over $200,000 as a church family. And here's what's really cool. That includes a $40,000 Christmas offering. That's a huge chunk of money at the very end of the year but that represents 13% of what we collected all of last year. Isn't that amazing? And here's what's really cool. The year before and the year before and the year before, we had only given away 10. So as a church family, we are growing collectively in generosity and we wanna celebrate that. We think this is an act of worship when we do this. But here's some other stats that I want you to know about. We estimate on, on any given weekend, uh, there's about 850, 900 people that make Genesis or church home. We think that's about 500 families. And we ran some statistics and learned that only 40% of people that call Genesis or church home give anything at all. And only 8% of the 40 give 10% or more. Now that's just by our estimation. And I don't say that to shame anyone. I don't say that to celebrate those of us that give beyond that. Those are, those are just the facts. And so here's, here's why I'm telling you this. If we believe that Jesus is who he says he is and we believe he's called us to this mission of making disciples, well, what are we holding on to our stuff for? Are we waiting for God to show up in a dream and say, you fool, tonight it's all gonna be demanded of you. Why did you hold on to that? Can, can you even imagine what would happen? Can you imagine what would happen if as a church family, we, were, we, were, we grew in this generosity ladder. We started taking steps from giving nothing to giving something, from giving on occasion to giving regularly, to stretching to give 10% and beyond, and then to get radical with our giving. Can you imagine what would happen in our neighborhood and in our community and around the world? 
we're helping to plant churches in Albania, but maybe we're not planting enough. What, what are we holding back on, guys? We all, my, my wife and I were having this conversation last night. We want to grow to be a radical giver. Give in ways that it doesn't make sense. We all have areas to grow here. And the last thing I want to say, it's tempting for us to want to hold on to it, isn't it? You know this. The story of scripture is that God saw that we had a debt that we could not pay on our own. It, it was impossible for us to pay. And so what did he do? He sent his best. He sent his son. And he didn't pay for our salvation monetarily. He paid for it with his life, a debt that you and I could not pay. Extravagant, generous. He filled us with his Holy Spirit and says, now you go and live out the mission. And that includes what you do with your money. And so as we close today, for those of you that, have never, that are not following Jesus, I understand why this might seem foreign to you. Maybe it's time to start following him. I'd love to talk with you about that today. But for those of us that are following him, maybe it's time for us to start growing in generosity, to let go of our wealth, to make room for him to do what only he could do through our finances. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I'm so thankful. I am so thankful for your word. Your word gives us tangible examples and stories that we can apply. And I'm so thankful, Jesus, that you did not avoid these topics. And you want us to grow and be, be generous. And, and you, you were generous with your very life. You didn't have a whole lot, Jesus, but you gave us your life. You gave us all that you had. Would you help every single one of us today to make a decision to grow, to get on this ladder, to avoid pain, and to, to seek out your blessing? Not so that we get rich, but so we can advance your mission of making disciples all over the world. We love you. We trust you. We need you. And we are so thankful. It's in your name we pray.